guys. Hey, you got a Bible? Say yes. And uh, Luke chapter 18 is where we are this morning. We continue the series, Keep Your Eyes Open. We've already been challenged personally to keep our eyes open for stumbling blocks in our life. We've also been challenged to keep our eyes open for the coming of the Lord Jesus and to keep our eyes open by praying and seeking the Lord with our whole hearts. And this morning, we're going to be challenged to keep our eyes open for arrogance in our life. Arrogance in our life. So, Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. Stand with me in honor of God's word this morning, if you will. And the Bible says, beginning in verse 9, Jesus speaking, uh, He told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this a tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. But Jesus called for them, saying, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Let's bow together. Father, we do thank you for your word and pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would deliver the message this morning to your people. And God, I pray for those who are outside of the faith and not yet having entered the kingdom of God. I pray that you would use this text to show them clearly entrance into heaven and into a relationship with you. God, I also pray that you would challenge us personally as your followers to make sure arrogance does not set itself up in the throne of our heart. And God, help us not to submit to pride. Help us to walk in humility as individuals and as a church body. And God, we thank you that you hear our prayers, you answer them. But most of all, God, we thank you that although being absolutely holy, you chose to have a relationship with us, providing a way through your son, Jesus Christ. And for that, we give you glory. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. So you can be seated. Well, just about every night, uh, I spend some time watching Bill O'Reilly. We got any Factor fans in the house here this morning? Three of you. So you know what I'm talking about. Y'all are late people, right? So hanging out watching Bill O'Reilly this past week, and he basically was making a claim concerning America where he says self-reliance is the key to America's success. Self-reliance. You know, you and I know that terminology, by the way, is kind of pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, working extremely hard so that you can earn your way in this particular life in America. So we live in a society that does indeed reward self-reliance. Now, it might make good sense in the context of work as far as working real hard, and the New Testament would actually agree with that and challenge all of us who work to work as unto the Lord, but it makes a pretty poor sense when we take that idea of self-reliance and we map it down into our idea of theology. You know, self-reliance is actually viewed as a prideful disposition toward Almighty God in the Scripture. And the Bible says that God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So where our culture encourages this believing in yourself mentality, uh, 
uh, the Bible says, humble yourself before Almighty God and He will exalt you. So Jesus is actually speaking to an audience that is a believe-in-yourself kind of group. They are a self-reliant group of individuals. In fact, look in your Bible again at verse 9. He says, he told this parable to some people, check it out, here's the audience, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Now, the idea here of trust, and you might want to circle that word in your Bible, it actually speaks of a mental and intellectual persuasion. They had rationalized to themselves that they were indeed a righteous group of people. That is, they believed that they were ethically innocent. They were clear from any sort of blame, morally upright and just. They thought that there was nothing wrong with their lives in particular. In fact, their elitism caused them to look down at others with contempt. That's why they treated others as beneath them. In fact, they considered and actually convinced themselves that it was morally upright for them to reject those in their day who did not measure up to their personal code of morality. In fact, the idea of contempt carries with it the concept of scorning others and actually despising others. So the Lord Jesus Christ has this group of people in his audience, and now he wants to share a parable with them to warn them to keep their eyes open for arrogance. And so he begins the parable in verse 10. Look at your Bible again. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, the audience that Jesus was speaking to would have immediately seen the vast contrast between these two individuals. On one hand, you have the Pharisee, who was a highly religious, Religious person, known by the way for all of his upstanding activities in society. He was morally upright. In fact, he was driven by the letter of the law. People loved these kinds of individuals. In fact, they deeply respected them. So you've got on one hand the Pharisee, then on the other hand, you have the tax collector. The tax collector was the scum of the earth in Jewish society. They turned their back on their own people, they began collecting taxes for the oppressive Roman government. And not only did they collect taxes, but they also would pad their own pockets. So they were extorting people, taking advantage of them. And if I can say it this way, they were living high on the hog. But you know, the Bible teaches... And we find this throughout the New Testament, that people actually hated these kinds of individuals. They did not respect them whatsoever. So you think about it, if Jesus were here this morning, and he were giving this parable to you and I, he may start out saying it this way, two men went to church to pray. One was a pastor, and the other was a well-known manipulative thief in the community. So you've got these two contrasting views. Nothing could be further separated than the Pharisee and the tax collector. So really what we have here in the audience is a good guy, bad guy scenario. Jesus, who is the master of the parable, he actually shows that the very one you would think was the good guy turns out to represent an arrogant person who is extremely far from God. And then the one that you would assume was the bad guy turns out to be the one who represents the humble person who is drawing near himself to Almighty God. So with that in mind this morning, what we want to do is kind of compare the arrogant heart with the humble heart and see what the Lord might teach us today. So here goes the comparison we begin with number one. The arrogant heart is deceived by his own thought patterns. The arrogant heart is deceived by his own thought patterns. Look at 
in your Bible at verse 11. The scripture says the Pharisee stood and was praying to himself, God. Now check it out. Notice, first of all, the word stood. You might want to circle that in your Bible this morning. It describes the act of putting oneself in a position of authority. It's the same term as used elsewhere in the New Testament describing the activity of establishing yourself. In fact, listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 3. The Bible says, for not knowing God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. That means seeking to stand on their own. The Bible says they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of Almighty God. So this is the idea uh, that we have here with the Pharisee. He thought he was righteous enough on his own to go bebopping into the presence of God as if he belonged. Now, we kind of warn everybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ in this particular message as well. So if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, be very careful that you don't think that you have earned your right to come before God because of some good deed that you have done in life. Listen, the Lord does not give out paychecks. He gives out grace. So you don't earn anything from God. God extends a merciful, gracious hand to you and I. Very huge. But this man, highly arrogant, he was standing in the temple and he was seeking to establish, listen, his own righteousness before Almighty God. And the Bible tells us what he's doing. He's praying. In fact, the Bible says that he's praying to himself. All right, praying to himself. And this is huge here. Uh, some of the audience may have thought Jesus had made a mistake. Did he just say he was praying to himself? It's like, why would Jesus say that? Not a mistake. Listen, those who think they are righteous by their own deeds can pray all that they want to, but they're actually not talking to God. In fact, they are having a conversation with themselves. Could you imagine that if you came to church on a Sunday morning and you came in and you established yourself as if you were righteous before God and standing before God, then you began to pray, God... And then the Lord's looking, and he's like, there goes another who is talking to himself. Arrogance always leads us into that frame of reference and that mindset. Now, we kind of highlight arrogance this morning. A couple of truths that we see here, and I'll shoot you straight as I did our first service. When I was writing this message, it was amazing how much arrogance I discovered in my own heart. How much pride was actually rooted down deep within your preacher. And so even in the context of reading about this Pharisee man and studying and writing this message, there were times that I just had to repent myself of my own arrogance and pridefulness. So a couple of truths that I did learn about arrogance, and that is, number one, arrogance always compares. It always compares. Look in your Bible at verse 11. It says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Did y'all hear that? That's an awesome prayer, isn't it? The other people the Pharisee speaks of are those whom he deems to be unworthy of his time and attention. These are the ones that he looks down his nose at, despising them and rejecting them. And then he begins to outline all the folks, right? So he lays them all out. He's like, all right, Lord, I am so glad I'm not like these people. Number one, I'm not a swindler. Now, you and I don't use that term today, but it literally means I'm not like these people who are vicious robbers and thieves, and then he says, I'm not unjust. I'm not like these other people who are immoral, always taking advantage of others for personal gain. And he says, I'm not like an adulterer. I'm not like these people who are sexually untamed, expressing uh, no self-control, always sleeping around with other people's wives. Now, 
It's interesting here, the Pharisee, if he were uh, closing his eyes during this prayer, about this time would be the time he would open one eye and catch a glimpse of somebody else in the temple who was a tax collector. And then it'd be like, Lord, thank you so much. I'm not like that guy right over there who is a tax collector. And by the way, every single term that he used in his prayer to himself most likely described the tax collector in this parable. He was a swindler, the tax collector. He was unjust, the tax collector, and most likely also an adulterer. So he is comparing himself, arrogantly building himself up in this prayer. Arrogance always compares. And listen, man, how many of you compare yourself to others? All of us do this. I do this uh, uh, more often than I'd like to admit. And how many of us have even prayed arrogantly where we have said, Lord, I am uh, I am an individual who is seeking to do all of these things. So we brag on our own righteousness before God. And the Lord's like, you're just talking to yourself, man. How often do we fall in that particular uh, uh, context in our life, always taking scope of every room that we go into so that we can measure ourselves up with everybody who is there? So you go to work, too, and you're like, thank you, Lord. I'm not like these sinful people over here. That's an arrogant prayer. Arrogance always compares. But we also know arrogance always justifies self. Look at verse 12 in your Bible. He's like, I fast twice a week, I pay tithes of all that I get. So the Pharisee believed he was right before God because of all of his religious observances. He had seen his position before God as something that he had earned. He had completely uh, completed so many good things. He believed that God was impressed with his acts of righteousness. His thought was that his acts of righteousness somehow merited God's favor and blessing in his life. We do this too. I know I do. How many times have I prayed and said, Lord, I am preaching the word. Lord, I'm going to church. Lord, I'm praying as much as I can. Lord, I'm spending time in devotion. Lord, I'm doing this, doing that, as if the Lord doesn't know what's going on, right? But we tell God what we're doing so that we can build up our own righteousness to try to convince Him to do something for us. That's an arrogant prayer. And arrogance creeps in so often into our walks with the Lord. This is what this guy's doing. He's like, I'm fasting twice a week. I'm paying tithes. I've got it going on. Now, the Bible teaches that God has actually given man a conscience in Romans chapter 2 and verse 15, which teaches and bears witness to the law of God written upon a person's heart. You know, no matter where you go on the globe, people know right from wrong. How do they know this? Even if they've never seen a Bible, it's because the moral lawgiver who is God has written his code upon all hearts in humanity. So a person who's never even seen the Bible before knows that lying and stealing is wrong. And his conscience bears witness to it. That means his conscience, at the moment of breaking the moral code of God, actually bears witness saying you are guilty. You have broken the law. You are not innocent. Then the Bible also says in Romans 2 and 15 that a person's thoughts began to accuse them. So your conscience, your thought life work together to accuse you. Or, the Bible says, your thoughts begin to defend you. And that's what this man is doing. Although he is a Pharisee claiming to have lived a life where he had not broken the law of God, he literally silenced his conscience and now was seeking to justify his own life before God. 
And this happens quite often, and I've used this illustration a thousand times because it makes the point. So here's a thousand and one. Y'all ready? Yeah? So I I have to preach down in South Georgia on one occasion, uh, a revival which started on a Sunday night and went through the week. And I was running late, and I was on I-75, which, by the way, you can't get to heaven on I-75. Y'all all all right? So I'm cruising down I-75. My GPS tells me what time I'm going to get there, and I know what time I need to be there, so I'm going to run late. So I speed up a little bit much and i'm hauling now all right going down i-75 when all of a sudden behind me the blue lights show up and pull me over now when i'm pulled over i realized that i was guilty because i saw the speed limit sign and i saw my speedometer and they weren't close all right so here i am guilty now feeling sorry for myself i'm basically go preach a revival and i'm breaking the law and so anyway, I sit there, and it's taking the cop forever to come write me a ticket. I've got in my hand my driver's license and my registration, and finally he uh, begins to walk towards the car. But before he even does that, I'm thinking to myself, what's taking him so long? And then where I felt guilty, I started changing my mind a little bit. Y'all ever done this before? I was like, y'all ain't never been pulled over before. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, why is he pulling me over? All these people out here on the highway, I had people passing me. What's he bothering me for? I'm a preacher. And um, anyway, he knocks on the glass, so I roll the window down. And uh, hand the registration and license to him. Uh, Sir, do you know how fast you were going? Uh, No. I mean, not really. But it's amazing here. Could you imagine if I looked at the officer and said, Officer, uh, don't write me a ticket. You can't do it. There were people passing me. Why are you bothering me? He would look at me and say, I'm not judging you based upon everybody else's speed. I'm judging you based upon the speed limit. And you've broken it. It's the same thing with us. A person hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how many times have we shared the gospel with individuals? And all of a sudden, for a moment, they are broken over their sin. They see the reality of what they have done. And so then, their conscience bears witness to the moral law of God. And that moral law gives evidence that there's a moral law giver who is the Lord. But then, all of a sudden, something kind of triggers on in their mind. And then they begin to say, but wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not as bad as the other people. I mean, I'm a pretty good person. I, I do right things every once I mean I'm not as evil as it sounds like it is I'm, I'm, I'm pretty I've never killed anybody before and they begin to lay all their they're justifying themselves it's amazing how quick our own ego our own pride our own arrogance begins to shows up in our heart and that's the deal listen some of you and I'm not trying to be ugly but just look at me out of an some of you have not come into the kingdom yet because you can't admit you are a sinner before God and until you admit that you're never going to get in absolutely essential that you see sin against a holy God as dreadful and listen condemnable before almighty God some people don't want to see it though Always comparing, always justifying. That's the arrogant heart. Can I go to give you the second point this morning? Yes. So here's the humble heart. The humble heart, and this is awesome, is made right by God. The humble heart is made right by God. Look at verse 13 in your Bible. But the tax collector standing some distance away. Now notice right off the bat here the contrast that Jesus draws. The Pharisee stood in the temple uh, establishing his own righteousness. The tax collector standing some distance away. 
He was realizing he didn't belong in the presence of God. He had no acts of righteousness for which to be proud. And the verse also says he was unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. But he was, check it, beating his breast. Now here we see the context and the contrast. The Pharisee would have been brazenly looking up toward heaven, believing that he belonged. Whereas the tax collector knew that he did not belong and wouldn't even consider looking up toward the heavens. His conscience bore witness to the breaking of God's law. His thought patterns continued to issue a guilty state before a holy God. And therefore, he beat his chest in anguish over his own sin. He wasn't comparing himself. He wasn't seeking to justify himself before others. And that's the picture of humility. And what's amazing is... Um, and I'm studying this myself in my own devotion, this idea of humility and genuine repentance. Uh, when you read throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, when people are humbled before God, are y'all listening, yeah? When people are humbled before God, there is visible outward expressions of that humility. In the Old Testament, the Bible teaches about how, man, people were so prideful, but whenever they would humble themselves before God, they expressed it. Oftentimes, they would rip their own clothes. They would put on sackcloth. Sackcloth is basically like a potato sack with the head and the arms cut out. So they would be in the sackcloth on the ground. They would take ashes and rub it on their head. If you saw a guy like that, you would know he was broken over his sin. We don't read about it a ton in the Old Testament about this humility, about repentance, because people are so hard, hardful, hearted and prideful, even though prophets were coming and say, turn to God and live, come to the Lord and be forgiven. They still were like, we're not all that bad. But when humility strikes, they would fall. Remember Jonah preaching to the Ninevites when he came in preaching his like two sentence sermon. The Bible says the entire place from the very top in society to the very low in society all fell on their face in the dirt before God. And here this guy, humility, Jesus describes him as beating his breast. Question, have you ever witnessed humility like this in the local church? It's amazing how we can read stuff through the Old and the New Testament and be like, that's humility. I see repentance there. It's happening there. But then we look around. And it's like what we're reading about isn't happening where we go to church. We become so fearfully prideful that we don't think we've got to humble ourselves before God. Listen, you did not create God. God created you. And here's the amazing thing. God is all right without you. He does not need you. He does not need... It's not like somehow or another God is not going to be satisfied unless you come running and embrace Him. God is perfectly satisfied in the context of community right in the Trinity. You and I were created to express the glory of God in the world, but the glory was marred through the fall of man. Sin infected every single person who'd ever breathed the breath of life. And now we cannot effectively reflect the glory of God unless we humble ourselves and are forgiven of our sin. We come to church, man. And I fear we are not broken over our sin. 
Now, I'm talking to Christians now, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come and we are just like this Pharisee. Lord, it's not that big of a deal. Just a little thing going on in my life. Hey, this is just one thing happening. I'm not as bad as all these others. Listen, where is the humility? Where is like the face in the floor? Who are we? This almost uh, like the New Testament church has got some kind of big egotistical head. We're better than everybody else. We're not as bad as all these other people. When in fact the gospel makes it very plain, it doesn't matter if society thinks you're a good guy, you still need redemption. It doesn't matter if society thinks you're a bad guy, you still need the same exact redemption. The grace which flows from the throne goes to those who think they are righteous and all of a sudden finally figure out they aren't. Humility, brokenness over sin. And we excuse sin too, don't we? All the time, excuse sin. Not a big deal, not a big deal. Listen, it was your sin and it was my sin that caused God the Father to nail His Son to the cross. It's like, my sin's not a big deal. What? Yes, it is. And if we hold on to it in our hearts and say, God, it's just it's not that big of a deal. No, no big problem. What, what kind of people are we that we are not broken in humility over any single sin in our life? It's humility. A couple of quick little statements about humility. Humility calls out to God. And don't let the simplicity of that statement go in one ear and out the other. Humility calls out to God. Notice his prayer in verse 13. The Bible's like, God, be merciful to me. This is a person who simply calls out to God for a pardon. He's pleading with God to show forgiveness of his sin death. He's begging for the Lord to remove the punishment from his life that he deserves. He's asking God to set him free from his just anger against sin. He's like, be merciful. And that term mercy is awesome. Uh, it equates to the Hebrew word kippur, as in Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament. Uh, the mercy that he was requesting was an atoning grace kind of mercy. Yom Kippur, by the way, was a day in the Old Testament where the priest would go into the Holy of Holies with a sacrificial lamb, and he would slaughter the lamb on behalf of the people. So the idea here is that, okay, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Something has to die for sin. We aren't just kind of uh, brushed under the rug. It's not just kind of overlooked by God. If it was, He wouldn't be just. And so what the people of Israel would do is they would bring this sacrificial, uh, sacrificial lamb and they would lay hands on it, the priest would, and they would say, Lord, treat this lamb as if this lamb has committed the sin of Israel. And then they would slay him and his blood will be thrown all over the mercy seat in the ark, in the holy of holies. That's what kind of prayer this man's praying. He's not like, be merciful to me, uh, oh God, and I, I just forget about my sin. No, no, he's saying, be merciful and apply a blood sacrifice over my life. He's praying for an atoning grace. And it's so true. 
Chuck Swindoll says there's no long, drawn-out process here, no great promises to do this or do that or stop doing this or stop doing that, no impressive words, no profound statements of faith. The humble can simply ask for God to cover his sins with the atoning blood sacrifice. That's the call. Humility calls out to God. Check this. Humility also identifies the problem. He's like, be merciful to me. Did y'all see that in your Bible? Check this next little phrase out. The sinner. And this, by the way, is absolutely huge. All right. Massive statement. There's not a hint of comparison in the man's humble heart. He doesn't say, well, we're all sinners. We're all human, God. I'm just a sinner like everybody else. He doesn't pull that whiny mess before God. In fact, he calls himself proper name. I'm the sinner. The sinner. One commentator says he felt that he was the sinner, the one who had hurt and shamed God more than anyone else, the one who was more undeserving than anyone else. There was nothing good within him, nothing to commend him to God, nothing to make him acceptable to God. See, humility makes us right with God. Humility calls out to the Lord and identifies the problem as sin. And then here's a statement for you. Humility and humble hearts are declared just by God. Humble hearts are declared just by God. Look at verse 14 in your Bible. And this is Jesus now summing up the entirety of the parable. He says, I tell you, this man, speaking about the tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. So here the term justified, you might want to circle it in your Bible, speaks of an act which God caused on behalf of the humble heart. It's awesome. It speaks of putting something right, declaring someone just to equip someone. It literally speaks of pronouncing someone to be righteous and to treat them as if they are righteous. And the term also speaks of being set free from the penalty of one's wrongdoing, one's crime, one's sin, justification. It's a theological term. It describes what occurs to a person the moment they humble themselves before God and ask for mercy, trusting Jesus as the sacrificial payment for their sins. So what does God do when we humble ourselves before the Lord in repentance and faith? Listen to what one author describes. He says, God issues a divine forensic act based on the work of Christ upon the cross, whereby a sinner is pronounced righteous by the imputation of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So what this means is that God laid upon Jesus your sins and mine, and Jesus paid for them on your behalf at the cross. God, at the moment of humility through repentance and faith, now lays upon us the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I'll never forget uh, being in a class, I think I was in college, and we were studying the term justification. Now, I grew up in church, but I don't remember ever hearing that priest or taught and so I began to listen to this idea of justification. What is this justification? The just shall live by faith. And the, the principle was when you place your faith in Jesus as the atoning sacrifice, the one who covers your sins because he died in your place, then, check it, God the Father places upon you the righteousness of his Son. It is absolute grace. But I was living in such a manner as to think that, man, I've got to do certain things to impress God. I've got to do certain things that God might love me more. So I had all of this going on. And when this principle was taught, and all of a sudden they began to go through it in Romans, and I saw it clear as a bell, 
Uh, in my heart, couldn't do it in class, but in my heart, I man, I jumped up. Are y'all listening? Justified. Declared righteous by God. Who am I? That God would do such a thing. To just impute righteousness. I didn't earn that. I didn't do something where God's like, man, I'm so impressed with Him. No, no, no. God, by His grace, showed me sin. And in humility, I fell before Him. And repentance and faith, God imputes His righteousness into my life. It's grace, man. Arrogant people can't brag about grace. Followers of Jesus can't brag. We can't think we're better than somebody else. It's ridiculous. Just kind of trying to think through how to explain this uh, clearly. So this came to my mind. We'll see how it goes. Y'all with me say yes? Y'all have had a two-liter bottle in your hand before? And uh, have you ever had one that was shook up? And the inside, it boils just about to explode. I mean, the plastic's all, you know, just about to crack. Have you ever opened one before? And it blew up all over you? Have you? I'm asking y'all a question. It's happened to you before. It happened to me. It happened to my wife when I shook it up and gave it to her. But anyway, I... It's happened, you know what I'm saying? I started thinking about that, you know. All right, God's wrath is like stored up in this bottle. And all throughout Old Testament, people are just rejecting Him. Well, we can do this on our own. God, God, God wants to be our king. No, no, no. We want to make our own king. The prophets come. Repent. Turn to me and live, says the Lord. No thanks. We can handle some of this on our... We can take it. And each time, it's like the wrath of God is just being stirred up all throughout the Scripture. Stirred up. I mean, you can almost see the wrath. just expanding the bottle. It's just about to blow up. Then, New Testament, Jesus comes. And there He is now. He is just about to have a nail driven through His hands. You know what that is? So often we're like, that's Roman soldiers nailing uh, nails into His hands. No doubt, that's true. But so much grander, man. In this moment, God the Father unscrews the wrath which He has stored up for all that time that's just about to explode. And He unleashes it on Christ His Son. He does that for your sin. does that for my sin. Hey, what kind of love is that? Holy Spirit writes, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Listen, it is amazing that the bottle blew up on Christ. But what's even just as amazing... Is that he graciously takes the righteousness of Jesus and just puts it on you. Justify it. Verse 14. Can I, can I tell you this before I go to verse 14? Y'all look at me. Y'all with me, yeah? Here's the deal. If you've not repented of your sin in humility... And come before God and prayed out for an atoning work to be done. May someone else take this wrath besides me. And I trust Christ that He did that. If you've not had that, you don't know the Lord. And know this, man. I don't care who you are, but the devil will flat out paint kingdom of heaven over every single gate. 
to get you to walk through it. So many people deceived. Man, I pray that's not you. And if it is, I pray you've got enough humility, all right? God grace humility to own up to I'm a sinner. And that, that's, that's, by the way, that's one of the major reasons most people never come to faith. Because they, they don't want to admit they're sinners. They do not want to say, I am guilty, of, I am a depraved, wicked, deceitful person on the inside, and there's nothing I can do to fix that. I've got to have mercy. People don't want to say that, and that's why people don't get saved from that. It's humility. I haven't read verse 14 yet, have I? Look at this. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. You know what he's doing there? He's talking to every Pharisee. He, you know what he's doing? He's talking to every... Are y'all listening? Talking to every single person who has sought to establish themselves as right before God. Everyone. If you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. When? When you stand before God as the great judge of the universe. And at that moment, your sin will be exposed. And boy, you who were so great at justifying yourself are going to have your mouth shut by the law of God. Nothing. Sinner. Exalt yourself, you will be humbled. But then check out the next thing. Humble yourself. You'll be exalted. Humble yourself. You'll be exalted. Humility recognizes sin, calls out for mercy, and then God, by His grace, exalts you into the family of His. He brings you in. It's pretty neat, right? Uh, the gospel uh, makes us both humble and confident. But never arrogant. Humble in the sense like, who are we? We didn't deserve this, but God graciously gave. But we are, listen, we're not walking around now uh, in such a way almost fearful of God. No, no, no. Now we have the righteousness of Christ. So we have confidence. So the Bible says in Hebrews uh, that you can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why do we have this confidence? Because of something we've done? No, because of what God's done for us in Christ. That's where we're confident. Uh, check this out. This is uh, I added this uh, statement here. Are y'all listening? <laughs> I'm gonna preach regardless, because <laughs> I mean this message about got a hold of me. Y'all listening? As people come to know the radical gospel analysis. That both good and bad people are equally lost and can only be saved by God's grace. It becomes impossible to be proud and condescending toward others without denying the gospel itself. That, that's it. Look, look, look. When you and I experience the gospel, you know what we don't do? We don't go around justifying ourselves, and we don't go around spouting contemptible statements towards those who are outside of the faith. We don't go around with our fingers in condemnation. It's like, we were condemned, man. 
And the only reason we're not now is because of grace. So it's not like, don't go around pointing all that mess out like you are some kind of better person than they are. Go lovingly explaining sin, explaining Christ, and encouraging people to make decisions. And uh, I hope you all hear that's what I'm doing this morning. I know I sound a little ill about it, but I promise I'm not. Y'all all right? Look at verse 15 and 17. This is awesome. They were bringing their babies to him so that he would touch them. By the way, pretty common uh, for rabbis. They would always bring children to them so they would touch them to kind of bless them. So that was common. But notice this. When the disciples saw it, they began to rebuke them. But Jesus called for them, saying, Permit the children to come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Now I've got to go quick here, so look at me. So uh, on uh, more than one occasion overseas, right, enter into a village, and amazing all the kids that will show up, right? They just come out of nowhere. And, man, they just love on you, run, gather all around you, uh, want to hold your hand, want to talk to you, and they don't even speak your language. But they learn a couple of words like hello and money. That's what they know. So here we are, carrying on this conversation, hanging out with all these kids, me and a couple of buddies of mine, uh, while we're in this village in the bush. And then all of a sudden, a pastor who we were there to train has this stick with a long string rope kind of thing on the end of it. And he just begins to hit those kids. Back up, he said. Get away from them. Now, obviously, he's saying this in his dialect. But as soon as this happened, I mean, I immediately mentally ran straight to this passage of Scripture. That's what the disciples were doing. They're bringing babies, but they're like, no, no, I rebuke you. Back up. That's how this guy was. Now, I don't remotely think I'm Jesus in this story, all right? But, uh, it's, and I tell the first hour, like, it's amazing how bold you can be when you know they can't understand your language. <laughs> so I just rebuke him. Stop that, man. I will take that thing and beat you, all right? Let the kids come. Now, here's what Jesus does. You've got to picture him, right? He's got a baby in his hands. Uh, picture him now. Maybe he puts uh, uh, his hands around the child, and the child's now facing everybody who's in the audience, and he lifts it up. You want to come into the kingdom? You've got to come like this. This child doesn't brag on itself. This child has done nothing to earn a single thing. This child comes completely relying upon me to carry Listen, if you've not come to Christ with childlike faith, I mean, broken over sin, let me embrace Christ, and you've not come. Y'all listening? Now, the thing is, some of you know you need to make a decision for Christ, but now you have to fight your own ego, your own pride. Not me. I was baptized. Didn't ask you that. What you going to do with Jesus? Don't allow self-reliance to creep into your theology. Let's bow. Father, speak to hearts even now in Jesus' name. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed.